People used to be talking about autonomous vehicles. They're like, well, why would you take the fun of driving away from me? No, a large, vast expanses of driving are not fun. Those are the bits you want the autonomous vehicle to take away from you and leave you with the fun bits, the twisty roads, the sharp corners and the the really spirited driving elements of a vehicle. And the monotonous straight line driving for three hours at a time, the computer can have that. I don't want it. That is Jeremy White. He's the executive editor of Wired and the man who's got a pretty good idea of how technology is going to change both our cars and our relationships with them. I'm Alex Goy and this is Audi Behind the Rings. Vorsprung durch Technik. There's a romantic story that's entirely true, by the way, that sees an ad exec at Audi HQ in Ingolstadt spotting an illuminated sign on the motorway that read Vorsprung durch Technik. At the time, he had absolutely no idea what it meant. The important thing was that they were German words. And that was the message he, as an ad man, wanted to tell Brits. Audi is a German brand, and that means quality. Vorsprung durch Technik, or progress through technology, was soon catapulted into the public conscience. What we're here to learn today is what progress Audi has made in technologies, from four-cylinder engines and manual braking systems, to cars that know your search history and that you don't physically have to drive yourself. I'm going to talk to Andrew Doyle, the director of Audi UK, and Jeremy White, Wired Magazine's executive editor, to find out how and why these technologies are developed. Andrew, Vorsprung durch Technik, it's more than a slogan. It's its a concept of innovation and progress through technology. And that is, that's part of Audi's DNA. I remember that being the Audi slogan since forever. So let's talk about the brand's rise. How has that tech, how has that Vorsprung durch Technik been part of it from the beginning? Audi was a was a pre-war organisation, but we were still very much unknown at that stage and particularly outside of Germany. But it was probably in the 70s where we really started to get some traction with some some pretty cool and innovative cars, I'd say. The first of those was the uh, Audi 80, and that was in the early 70s with a front-wheel drive, and it even had a really quite a clever suspension system that helped to stabilise the car, for example, if you had a puncture. You know, we had people like uh, you know, the legendary Ferdinand Piëch, who was, of course, the grandson of Ferdinand Porsche, and he was overseeing the introduction of what is and now a legendary five-cylinder engine at Audi. You know, there was there was a lot of demand at the time for something more luxurious than just a four-cylinder engine. There was a lot of, I guess, intelligent thinking happening behind the scenes by these guys and, and a real sense that these cars had to be relevant to the technology, the best of technology that was available at the time. And, you know, things like galvanization was a great example of that technology. Get, you know, customers didn't necessarily know that they could have this until Audi was one of the first car brands to offer it. And up until probably the mid 80s, it was just accepted that cars would rust over time and it, it involved expenditure for customers, uh, but they wouldn't have necessarily known there was an alternative or even aerodynamics. You know, everyone thinks that they, they can just see from looking at a car that it if it looks more aerodynamic than it's, uh, but that's not necessarily always the case. You know, it was in the uh, early 80s that we had this in, incredible streamlined Audi 100 that we introduced. And again, here, there was a real benefit for the customer or the driver. You know, you didn't have to stop to refuel as often. You didn't know this was needed until you actually had it. So in that way, you know, 
I think we're always looking to use technology for real customer benefit. Now, you you, you mentioned something that, that is very dear to my heart in there. Something about a five-cylinder engine. Now, if you put a turbo on one and put all the power to all four wheels, you have a quattro. Now, whenever I put something quattro-y on my various social feeds, they sort of explode. Um, everyone gets very excited and there's lots of mentions of rallying heroics and things like that. It's a pretty powerful legacy. Now, there's no brand that does without all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive. But how did that happen? How did that come to be? I mean, you're right, Quattro is, Audi is Quattro and Quattro is Audi and it's it's legendary. But interestingly enough, Quattro was, was actually a bit of a happy accident really for our brand. Um, we always test our cars in, in either very hot weather or very cold weather and I think it was in the late 70s we were developing a, at the time what was what was a new kind of Jeep-like vehicle. You know, we had four-wheel drive on this car and one of the engineers noticed that it was seemed to be coping a lot better, especially in the snow, than, you know, the regular road cars. So one of them thought, well, you know, why wouldn't we put this, this four-wheel drive system into a road car and, and see what it gives us? It seems to me that that attitude of curiosity has meant that for decades our engineers and designers have, have just been encouraged to to let their imaginations run wild and so anyway they built a they built a prototype it turned out to be very very competent um, so then they showed it to the uh, the decision makers of course the the big board at the time the board members were taken away i believe to a, a, a snowy hill to uh, given a car to drive and and yeah, that uh, the, the rest is history, as they say. It got the instant sign-off. Quattro really changed, especially the face of motorsport overnight, you know, with the, the, the legendary Audi Quattro rally car going on to win a slew of trophies and, and the technology remaining, I think today, even today, you know, a huge element of our racing heritage. And, and as you say, it, it just evokes all this beautiful uh, mystique around the brand that we have this quattro phenomenon what, what i really love about that is how how different things were like oh yeah how are we going to convince the board of this we'll take them to a snowy hill and give them a car and just say all right chaps um i've got a challenge for you it's get up the hill good luck we'll see you at lunch there'll be a coffee don't worry but yeah, it did change motorsport you know quattro's uh, influence is, is undeniable but tech and motorsport do go hand in hand. Two things advance technology quicker than anything else, war and motorsport. So how has uh, the extreme of motorsport, because Audi's been like pushing boundaries where it can in order to win for, for years and years and years. So how has it helped push the envelope of, of Audi tech? How has it moved the game on for, for us road people? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's so true what you say about motorsport. Motorsport is 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 the real opportunity to take that test, you know, take like, like you just explained with the board members and and try and fail and try and win. It goes back to Auto Union in the 1930s um, or rallying with, with the Quattro cars in the 80s or indeed the really, really successful touring cars uh, of the 90s that were, you know, in many competitions banned because they were so successful. And and then, of course, Le Mans in the, in the 2000s. You know, I had so many great years going to Le Mans. Le Mans is a, it's a classic, isn't it? It's a classic example because the car's... 24 hour they need to be more efficient you know could you do or squeeze one more lap in without having to come in and refuel and with one less fuel stop than the competition that's a, that's a big advantage so yeah we developed for example direct injection technology which we took into Le Mans cars in in the early 2000s I think 2001 and that went on then to become standard in a road cars or, or again 24 hour of Le Mans 
uh, obviously means you're driving overnight. So lighting was also inspired by Le Mans. If you're driving through the night at very, very high speeds, in that particular case, you want to have great headlights. And, and the driver wants to be able to see around the corner, not just for safety, but direction for speed and for victory. So this technology was then also taken into our production cars. And what's the result? Well, the result is that now driving is is safe for everyone. So we have these these headlights now that are that are quite incredible. They basically, you know, we describe it as as projecting like a carpet of of natural light uh, using these automatic dipping beams. Uh, so they're smart enough to avoid dazzling other drivers as they're coming towards you with individual diodes on and off, and they just adjust automatically during um, motor lane changes or whatever it might be. So soon enough, actually, the next step will be that these lights could allow our cars then to communicate also with with the environment so with pedestrians or or other cars for example you might want to warn about hazards so for us we figured if it's if it's vital for safety and success in motorsport why wouldn't you bring it to road cars and you know i think the success is 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 written in terms of audi's sort of pioneering nature when it comes to lighting design and when you lock and unlock the cars they do cool pattern things which is a lovely bit of theater well, I remember I've had a, a car over and I showed my neighbour and he was like, wow, what's that? Well, it's very clever lighting, but also it does this. Look, uh, <laughs> uh, it's at this point I want to bring in Jeremy White, tech guru, man who knows all the things about all the technology that has ever, ever been produced. Is, is I, th- I think that's about right. Yeah, no pressure, Alex. Thanks very much. <laughs> you're, you're very welcome, Jeremy. <laughs> very welcome. <laughs> this is where I, 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 we, well, we'd need to hear from you, really. So of the concepts and technologies that have made it into production, of all the things that you have seen, considering your breadth of experience what has kind of tickled you what's piqued your interest well i mean there's lots of concepts obviously that could catch your eye i think the difference is with audi concepts is that they generally end up being much more than vaporware which is something that uh, happens with lots of other car manufacturers where you see something produced and uh, it never sees the light of day it's the flight of fancy i think what's impressive about audi's concepts is that a lot of it actually comes to fruition and talking about the matrix headlights there that andrew is mentioning that again is it's not it's the unrealized potential of it as well you could technically you could actually plug in and project a film in black and white albeit onto a wall using those headlights so he's underselling those matrix led headlights a little bit and I'm actually looking forward to when they do sort of things like that. And it's that sort of pushing the boundaries that's really good for a car company to do. You've got Hang the. On, is, uh, is, 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 are you seriously saying there's a possibility of having a silent film revolution? Yeah. Could, like Laurel and Hardy in your car park at home project onto the side of your house? It can be done, unless I'm terribly wrong. Isn't that right, Andrew? You're right, Jeremy. Spot on. I didn't want to uh, <laughs> go too far, but yes, indeed it can. That's really cool. <laughs> That's the, that's and that's the the breadth of that technology and what it can actually do. So what we are seeing in those headlights is actually just a, a, a just a fraction of what they're capable of, and that's what exci- that's what's exciting about it. With regards to the other concepts, you, can, you know, there's a number of different concepts from Audi to to pull in from, and there's themes running through them. You've got the obviously the the Audi e-tron Quattro concept. You've got solar panels in the roof there, and now, solar panels obviously are more prevalent because they're becoming down in cost. The photovoltaic cells are much, much cheaper than they used to be, but they're also becoming far more efficient. And so, again, this isn't just vaporware. They actually generate significant electricity. Then you've got 2001, back to the Avantissimo. That's a radical design you've got there. But again, photovoltaic cells were in the roof back then to power the ventilation system. Audi has form here history that it actually continues to go through. Um, the H-tron 
is particularly interesting because many people sort of are still on the fence regarding uh, hydrogen as a fuel source and whether it's actually possible or not. The advantages, of course, are refueling. It takes only four minutes to refuel the, the H-Tron. It's got a 600-kilometre driving range or two. That's more efficient than an, an ICE. But the thing is, it's like, you know, it's the harvesting of that um, that hydrogen fuel that used to actually take more energy to get it than actually put out. So it was it was negative energy, really. And that's not the case anymore. And it's getting better and better. And there's more, you know, the, the in the Audi Alain 2017, again, you know, there's that matrix LED lighting system. You've got a, 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 a much more advanced uh, controller installed in the rear of cars and a new gen processor. So it's got a much more efficient use of, of, of automated driving. But one of the things that was interested for me about that was this Audi Fit driver they had for that concept, where you, where you had a wearable device on the driver's wrist, which provided data as vital signs of body temperature and heart rate. So it was like a wearable, it's like an, like an Apple watch that you had that was a, that was linked direct to the car. And if you, if you looked like you were falling asleep or you weren't particularly uh, alert, then it would like turn on the uh, seat massages or play sort of invigorating music or something like that. Again, it's, it's, it sounds funny, but you've got to experiment and do these things. I, I like the idea of the, the, the converse of that is you've had a really rough day at the office and you're hammering home <laughs> and the car yeah, recognises yeah, yeah. you maybe should calm down. Like Classic FM comes on, uh, a gentle cooling breeze. The car will just talk to you gently. Do calm down. We're having a lovely time together. Yeah, exactly. The last one that springs to mind is the Audi AI race. I mean, you know, I'm, I, you guys are uh, much more serious drivers than I am. You know, so you'll be excited by the naught to sixty-two in two seconds and yep, that, that sort yep. of level of, uh, of performance. But actually, I'm far more excited about the fact that this has a ninety-five kilowatt hour solid state battery put in it. So that's a range of three hundred and sixty miles plus. But because it's solid state, you can charge it to full capacity in fifteen minutes. Now, this technology isn't ready yet. This technology is, exp- is enormously expensive. And uh, it's still, it's still, you know, pioneering to be using this sort of technology. But there's a reason why James Dyson built a solid state battery company. There's a reason why this is the way to go. It's like it's much more efficient. You can charge this much, much quicker, and it's much, much safer as well. I, I like the fact that it can it can do the magic solid state thing, but also that it's incredibly fast. Well, it's not just that, you know. <laughs> it's like, it, it also, because the finally manufacturers are starting to enjoy themselves and play with the interiors, because the the pat you know the electric powertrain allows you to do that. You know, you've got a, a an unconventional interior in that concept, where the driver can convert between a single seater central driving position to a conventional two seater. People love that for central driving position, and now with that sort with this sort of internal architecture. It gives you that choice if you want to do that. Now, again, you can't just sort of launch into this. You've got to you've got to really experiment to see what's worthwhile. And not many car manufacturers, from a wired point of view, are experimenting nowhere near enough with the internal architecture of vehicles, electric cars, and the the possibilities that are that are there now. And so, it's really good to see. Audi playing around with this and having fun with it. What if we're if we're if we're talking about interiors of cars? We've talked about the outside a, a fair bit, but Audi interiors, concept cars aside, Audi interiors are pretty legendary for being like the most solid things in the world. They will outlast, you know, my grandchildren. 
um, full of full of full of lots of toys, and there's lots of Vorsprung Durch Technik. That DNA is in there. When did that start to be more of a thing for Audi, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, it's it it is one of the things that we're incredibly proud of. I mean, I guess it goes back to one of our former chairman. He had an obsession with interiors. You know, the interior design and the and the quality of the car. And his point was quite a quite a simple one, really. You know, um, where are you when you're driving a car? You're in the interior. It's where you spend your time. So it was quite a quite a natural thing to to want to be on a daily basis somewhere where you feel wonderful. Um, not only because it's driving you at a great uh, level of sophistication in terms of technology, but also that you feel wonderful inside the car. So that's very much a simple point, but a very very valid point. And we're proud of the fact that we. We're often regarded as, as indeed one of the best when it comes to interiors. You know, he wanted to change what was traditionally this sort of hard and, and, and scratchy sort of plastics to a to a much softer substance that really almost looks like leather and cover those what was previously interior sort of metals and hard surfaces with a, with a softer fabric. Um, and so a lot of these things are, are really important. They're relatively quick to create, but but things like technology of the cars is, is, is of course, a longer process. So cars that we have on our roads today, they're using technology that, you know, has taken years to develop. For example, you know, a combination of of cameras or lasers and, and, and connections to satellite to give that feeling or the driver that's in that interior the best possible experience. I mean, if I think about the car I have right now, it does incredible things that I, you know, I take for granted. It keeps me in the correct lane um, when I'm driving on the motorway. It'll read speed signs on the road to, you know, so when I have my cruise control, uh, at a certain level, it'll adjust the cruise control. It reminds me when I jump out of the car every time that I've, I've, you, you fool, you've left your mobile phone in the car. It doesn't say you fool, by the way, uh, but it says uh, you've left your mobile in the car. Imagine if it did, though. Imagine if you can program your car to like to 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 slap you about a bit, personalize it, yeah, to say exactly what uh, what it should say. You know, so it does great cool things like that that now is just it's part of my life you know and i expect that every car i get into for the rest of my life should do those things and more and more and more you know so some really really cool tech that's uh, that's just just coming out every day that's right i mean your cars will be an extension of your digital life and part of that is the this idea of being able to of being connected to the internet, of course, and this is nothing new. This is something we're going to have to do. But the point being is that as our mobile phones and our digital devices become far more sophisticated, you expect the rest of your technology in your life to keep pace and to do that as well. And this is the thing with you know the when you say you know your car should be able to inform you that you've left your mobile phone inside before you leave. Yes, it should. It should do that. The technology is capable and there and used and and it is it's just a matter of implementing it there are so many things that the the vehicles that we have could be doing right now that if we're implemented would just make them even even better as you mentioned before the idea of walking up to your audi and having the car recognize you as you're coming up as that individual user setting itself up to say okay here comes andrew he likes his seat in this position he likes the temperature of the car in this state, he likes this this particular radio station playing. This is where he normally goes at this particular time on this particular day. And so I've already pre-programmed the sat-nav and I'll check with him when he gets in the car whether he wants to go there or not. And I've actually calculated a different route. This is the sort of thing that is capable right now, but we want this in the vehicles because we expect this sort of connected life that we've got. It's nothing 
that's too beyond our grasp. That's what's exciting about it. This pace of change is increasing. And you're also seeing that in car development as well. When you think about two things that are really important, right? We want to make things more efficient for people. So from a financial point of view, they they save fuel or they save costs. But one of the most important things I think in everyone's lives right now is is time. Like, you know, you can't buy time. One of the things that our engineers challenge themselves with, and and we heard a lot from some of the confidential briefings we got, was that they said, let's let's try and create this 25th hour in the day for our customers. How can that happen? How can we find a quicker route? How can we save money, you know, because the car can drive me more efficiently from A to B? Hmm. How can, can we do things that will really give that time back to people to be more efficient so i don't have to get into my car as you said and 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 reprogram everything when i jump in it knows where i want to go and it helps me in that respect so this this concept of finding the 25th hour i thought was really cool because it challenged our designers to and technicians to think beyond just this is a piece of metal that gets you from a to b it's how do we make people's lives better by enjoying the tech that is in an audi andrew it's not just this idea of the car being intelligent that way is it i mean it's like it's a it's a hybrid of the two of, of being able to take control of, of what you want the car to do this, uh, and also automation. So you want the car to be able to, to discern these things and work out who's in the car and how many passengers and recognize people. And obviously, and so try and save you time and try and, you know, make your life a better way. But you also need to be able to very easily take control of that and uh, override that system if you want as well. So. Some some technology companies go down the route of being so enamoured with the technology itself that um, they will, you know, trying to remove as much interaction from the driver with the vehicle physically as they possibly can. And it's not a binary decision. You can have both. Finding a 25th hour uh, or, you know, allowing people to interact with the vehicle as much or as little as, as they like. This leads us to where the technology is going, where the industry is going, which is, of course, autonomy. You both sort of mentioned it at at, at different stages already. Do you think that is definitely where we're going? Do you think that should be where we're going? Well, I mean, I guess first of all, the the tech is is pretty much there. You know, it 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 exists. Um, and as as we've already explained, some of that that level, if you like, of of autonomy is is already in our vehicles, in lots of vehicles on the road right now. But we don't want to just use this tech for tech's sake. You know, um, I guess we've proven through our history that a technology really has to provide this this real customer benefit we've talked about but that has been mixed of course with top safety and when it comes to autonomous driving you know we're very much of the view that actually we do have a lot of tech that exists and to really put that technology on the road today but you know we should do it with caution and 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 this technology i guess is no different in that respect i think that's absolutely right the the, the thing with autonomous driving as well alex is that a lot of people jump straight to i want the car to be able to drive me around and get my groceries, take me to the pub, go to the restaurants, that sort of thing. And it's not going to be like that. It's going to be in really sort of defined stages of where we actually go and how this rolls out. I'm not so bothered about my car being able to drive me to the pub or not. I'm far more bothered about the car being able to remove the odious task of motorway driving from my life completely. I don't want to do it anymore. I'd rather eat my own feet than drive on the M4 anymore. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. And with an autonomous car, you can eat your own feet while you're being driven along the M4. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will be the first to try it. 
That, why would you want that? Again, people used to be talking about autonomous vehicles. They're like, well, why would you take the fun of driving away from me? No, a large, vast expanses of driving are not fun. Those are the bits you want the autonomous vehicle to take away from you and leave you with the, the fun bits, the twisty roads, the sharp corners and the, the real spirited driving elements of a vehicle and the monotonous straight line driving for three hours at a time the computer can have that i don't want it i mean it does exist i i, I must say one of the the pleasures of my job is when i uh, have the chance and of course not not of late but 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 in recent years a couple of years ago i did have the chance myself to go and and uh, experience autonomous driving as i said it exists right now we have a concept car we called it jack I don't know why we call it Jack, but we call it Jack. And uh, uh, I've been lucky, lucky enough to experience it. You know, I, I was um, driving under um, approved conditions, of course, but but on an autobahn with with technicians and push a button, uh, the steering wheel slightly retracts, the car drives sensibly, it, it changes lanes, it it does everything perfectly. Well, Andrew, what what I'd be interested to ask you about that is not how sort of how that blew your mind in the first sort of thirty seconds. I want to find out how long it took you to stop even thinking about it and just sit there. Surprisingly little time at all. It's like I just said, you know, we, we've become acclimatised now to technology in our lives. So when I'm driving in traffic and my car can drive stop start without me interfering, that's normal now. And I know that the car will stop well before the car that I'm crawling behind. Just the same way, the ability for me to to trust in the fact that that car knew exactly what it was doing in terms of safety and the ability to change lanes and so on. I was very comfortable. Of course, it's a little bit weird when you're moving at some speed, but it's amazing how um, quickly we become acclimatized, if you like. So it didn't take me long, I'd say. It was quite a pleasant experience. <laughs> I certainly wasn't panicking in any way. What about what about now? What's more imminent? What's what's coming that we can we can sort of almost touch? One of the best ones at the moment is is a new lighthouse project uh, we're calling Artemis. And uh, what we have is um, the team of obviously that they're, they're leading currently on autonomous driving, and they're going to be given the full resource and responsibility of the whole Volkswagen group actually to create what it will be now a blueprint for a much more nimble and much more agile development of the next cars or the next generation of cars. Uh, that we have on our roads and you know we talked before about technologies taking time to to get into our vehicles but this is going to make sure that that tech gets into our cars even quicker than before and we talked about motorsport and how important that was for from a technology point of view getting tech and dynamics if you like off the racetrack and in, into the road and here we see it again so what we've taken really is that the influence of motorsport the speed and that dynamism that you have to have in motorsport because you know you're competing on a weekly or monthly basis you know when you have a motorsport team you have a development team that must work quick and must work fast and that's effectively what we're doing with artemis we're, we're putting together a team that will be as fast and as agile as a motorsport development team and effectively scaling that now to effectively mass production leading with audi and then across the volkswagen group and it's going to be even cooler then because then you can match that development technology with what is the next big wave and that is of course software but you know the next generation that we have of leading automotive software we're going to call it the, the volkswagen.os it's really exciting it basically puts this software capabilities of i think something like 15 companies together and then we're going to basically be having uh, an in-house development in our company i mean of course we're going to be a dynamic automotive company for years and years to come that's what we'll always be but we're actually transitioning the company now into this real software driven uh, mobility provider and so the artemis project 
is very exciting, actually, for all of us. Uh, Audi's going to lead it for the Volkswagen Group, and I think it's going to be the way forward. And the first car we're going to build through that will be this extremely efficient electric car that we believe will get on the road around about 2024. So this is a really quick and dynamic, agile way of development. Artemis is something that probably will change the way we develop cars in the future. What Andrew said is absolutely right about the importance of software. And a very easy example to give you from a wide, just from a wider view, is that if you remember when Intel bought Mobileye, the um, Israel uh, startup company that was uh, linked with obviously autonomous driving technology, um, they bought that in 2017 and it was $15.3 billion acquisition. Now, that wasn't just the biggest acquisition within the motoring industry. That was one of the biggest acquisitions of a company, of any company that entire year. There's huge money going into this and with very good reason. This is going to be, as well as a hardware battle, as Andrew rightly says, and uh, Audi's positioning themselves for this, it's going to be a software one as well. With the hardware and software battle on either side, side. How is electrification fitting into the, the wider story of, of tech progress? How, how is electrification changing? How is that going to fit into the journey and integrate with everything that's going on right now? I mean, the, the focus for many countries, I guess, and, and, and companies as well is on electrification. And it comes from different places. Some are coming because there's governmental dictations about uh, certain levels of CO2 or other levels of output or, or electrification requirements in that country as we have here which is fantastic i mean i'm you can tell from my funny accent i'm, I'm from australia but there's no such uh, no such guidance uh, or direction i would say so from my point of view it's it's the right thing to do and you know from a you know, to take away my audi hat this is about the future of, of my children my grandchildren so let's use all of the input as we can to make sure that does happen but that's when I get really proud of the company that I work for because, you know, we've been ramping up our electrification program for quite some time now and we're really leading the charge on this. Probably many people wouldn't wouldn't know this, but Audi is actually the number one premium seller of electric cars in Europe out of the big three German marks. You know, we just recently launched the uh, the awesome new e-tron GT, which I, I'm sure you two have, have seen. It's quite an incredible car. And for those that are ever critical about electrification being boring, Take a look at that car. It's quite a car. The journalists that we have had in that car have been uh, have been hailing this cool, Gran Turismo, bottom-up design, awesome car. So we have longer-term plans for, I think, around 30 electrified cars, would you believe, in our lineup. Over the next five years, we're going to have an investment of something like 35 billion euro into these future techs that we've been speaking about and about 15 billion of that alone will be for for this electromobility and and hybridization of our fleet which is um i think the right move it's the right bet mobility will always be there what we have to create as a responsible company is is the right mobility and and i think we're you know we're not perfect but we're certainly we're certainly leading the charge in that respect Jeremy, what's your, your, your final thought on, on electrification? What, what, what do you feel about this? Well, there's, there's so much to say. I mean, because we really are at the beginning of this journey. That's the interesting thing. And we're also, uh, you know, we're just about reaching critical mass. The projections for the sheer volume of electric vehicles that are going to be built over the next sort of 10, 15 years is just enormous. Then you have to think about, you know, the raw, the, the rare earth material, the lithium, for example. So we're going to need to have enormous investment between producing, like, how can we be more efficient with battery technology and battery materials, the development of new materials. 
for example. And then you've got things like the advancement of computing technology itself, like quantum computing is coming around the corner. Well, it's, OK, it's about 10, 15, 20 years away. But the point being is that gra quantum gravity sensors are already in development and gravity is just one manifestation of acceleration. So you've got a, if you've got an incredibly accurate gra gravimeter, you've got an incredibly accurate accelerometer and an incredibly accurate accelerometer is a bloody good vibration sensor. And this is what's interesting to car makers, uh, and in particular, the auto autonomous vehicle industry. Looking forward, what progress are you expecting that tech to make? Jeremy, you're alluding to it there with quantum computing. Like, what should we be looking at? What what, what are the areas that, that need to be highlighted? I mean, I, I can give a quick mention to, for example, the virtual virtual exterior mirrors we have on our, on our e-trons right now. Cameras and screens replacing conventional mirrors, for example. They, you know, they, I think that sort of tech is one of the most recognisable and very futuristic looking design elements we're seeing on some of our production cars right now. But I think the immediate future doesn't, you know, really look like a, a sci-fi film or something. It's more, it's more likely to look at concepts like we've talked about. So electrification and, and also, for example, synthetic fuels. So it's really worth probably keeping an eye on the, on the evolution here when it comes to synthetic fuels. And I think they have a a promising future in the infrastructure. So you could, in this case, you could develop a fuel through existing fuel stations and existing cars could stay on the road, just updated, for example, to this to this new fuel type um, or for trucks and coaches and ships and all these things that which there's no immediate answer right now for electric propulsion that potentially could give, you know, a huge uh, reduction in emissions. For me, I mean, it brings this nicely up to where we started almost. Like Audi is already looking in this place. For me, it's solid state battery technology. You know, this is the sort of thing that you actually want in a vehicle. I've seen videos of someone firing three 22 caliber magnum rounds into a solid state battery that is hooked up and charging an iPad. And the iPad continues to charge for something like 24 hours or just well, they, until they turn it off after they've shot three holes in this battery. There is no difference to it whatsoever. It continues to work just the way it is. That's the battery you want in a car. And so not only is it super more efficient, not only is it charged much, much, much better, but also it's unbelievably safe. You can do that sort of damage to these sorts of batteries and they just don't care. This is the sort of direction that we want to be going in. And, and I'm very pleased to see that Audi is already looking at it right now. Andrew, when, when Audi does start uh, playing with solid state batteries and you have the shotgun test, can I be there for it? <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that sounds like the best day at the office ever. Gentlemen, our time has come to an end. Thank you for joining us. It's been insightful and it's been absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to Andrew Doyle and Jeremy White for their time. I'll be back in a week with more tales from Behind the Rings. But in the meantime, do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. I will tell you now, there's some good stuff coming up to give you the tiniest sniff of what's to come. I've managed to nab some time with a motorsport legend and a man who gets to dream up fantastical concept cars for an actual job. You definitely want to be the first to know when those episodes drop. Until then, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.